Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Here are your co-hosts, Andrew Forbes, Peter Barracchini, and Alex Hobson. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to episode 136 of Sticks in the Six. Here with my co-host Peter and Alex, I'm Andrew, and uh, testing a little something out there with the intro, boys, but uh, it's still a work in progress. Um, lots to talk about. Uh, we're going to try and keep this uh, short. We do have, if you haven't already tuned in on our YouTube channel to the uh, Michael Telfist interview, it will be on our streams, um, you know, Spotify, all that kind of stuff during this episode, so we will get to that in a little bit. Um, but uh, before we do all that, Alex, how you doing this week, buddy? I'm doing good, man. Um, bit of a busy week back at work, and uh, I, I have something to talk about, but I feel like it's going to take up five ten minutes if I do. So I go for it. Go for it. Cole's notes. I'll try and I'll try and keep this to a Cole's notes version. I'm doing something <laughs> kind of insane with the uh, rock station that I work next to. In the so those that don't know, I produce a morning show for a talk radio station in Niagara, right next, like literally right next door to us, like studio door to studio door is the rock station 97.7 hits FM. And a couple weeks ago, actually it was more like a month and a bit ago before I left for Europe, they call me in and they're like, Hey, we want to do a radio version of the bachelor. Do you want to be our subject? Oh, so, wow. So (laughs) seeds been planted. They put out and they made me write up a bio, like a Tinder bio almost and throw a couple pictures up. And it was up on the website all last week. They took applicants, which I was, not optimistic about that because I have no idea how many early 20-year-old girls listen to the radio, especially rock radio. Um, but they found three girls, and they've set up three dates with me next week. And at the end of it, I've got to go on the air and pick one of them to give the rose. No way. Oh my God. Dude, it's it, like there's one part of me that's like this is kind of a dream scenario because <laughs> I have the I have some of the worst game in the world. I'm just going to be flat out honest. And... This is like it, it. It's almost like they've taken this and they're like, "All right, we're gonna we're gonna be a team of wingmen to help you out with this." Yo. So they've set up the dates. They're all paid for, and the part that scares the shit out of me is that after every date, um, both me and the girl that I'm going out with have to call in. So they have to do this little segment called the machine, where you basically mm-hmm. um, you p- people can call this number and leave messages, and they play them on the air. Me and this girl after each date are supposed to call the machine and leave a message about how it went. 
and they're going to play it. So I have zero margin to error for this. Zero margin for error, I should say. If I make one mistake, boys, the entire Niagara region is going to hear about it. So <laughs> please wish me luck. I uh, never. You asked me a couple months ago if I ever thought I'd be literally putting my dating life <laughs> on the radio. I would have. I would have said, "Leave me the fuck out of that." But they have a way with words. They got me into it. So here I am. I think, I, I think you got to play it safe. You got to play yeah. it real safe. Oh, I'm yeah. playing it so safe, man. You have <laughs> no idea. Also, you have I, no idea. Like, like I, I don't know. I don't know any of the girls. Like, I, I've, I talked to two of them today, which was almost more terrifying than actually going on the dates. Oh, this is the first time I was talking, and they're going to put it on the air tomorrow. But, uh, yeah, um, I'm playing it safe. I'm not going to try anything stupid. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be myself, but I'm not going to try and uh, – do anything crazy to impress or anything because I don't need, I don't need the entire golden horseshoe knowing about my dating flaws. That's all you could do, man. Just just be you. That's it. Hey, that's what I'm going to do. After talking to two of the girls today, you actually only have one date left. So uh, it's a a do or die here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. Both of them are going to drop out before next week. (laughs) Now I have a reason to go back and listen to the radio now. Dude, yeah. Uh-huh. So and even after I know, I bet I bet of all the things you guys thought I was gonna say, probably wasn't that. Eh? <laughs> no, no, but I probably <laughs> at the bottom of the list. Great, some great content for you sure. You know what? It's it's good content, and it's, it's just fun. when we do this little banter thing at the start. I was originally just gonna be like, no, I'm not gonna get into this, but that has literally been taking up 90% of the space in my head for the past week. So oh, <laughs> there wasn't man. really a way around it. I had to bring it up. You have to. So absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Well, from the bachelor over to Peter. Peter, how you doing, Anyways, buddy? Oh, uh, I don't know if I can. I, can I feel talk, like I know. set the bar high for you every week. Peter. Oh yeah, I you always like, do. You always do. If, I live a very boring life. It's like, not even that, man. I feel like just if you put you and I next to each other, like we're like Jerry Seinfeld and George Costanza. Like, yeah, Jerry's subplot is always, oh, my girlfriend's a soft talker. George is always, I have to sneak into my roommate's house and delete. Or I have to sneak into my girlfriend's house and delete the voicemail <laughs> I left for her, right? Like we have very uh, different subplots after every week. But yep. anyways, get a, get after. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, what, how how can I top that? Really, I, re- I really can't. I mean, I did go. Okay, well, it kind of sounds boring. I went shopping today, but I managed to like because I have like two like kind of like suit jackets or whatever, and I needed to find a new match. And boys, I'm gonna tell you right now. I'm going to probably have to start wearing suits more often because I don't want to like build myself up, but I look damn good in them. We love some self-confidence and body positivity. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't have any, so you take it all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I got a gray and I got a blue one. And I'm just going to say like, if I wear a blue one out on the streets, people are going to think I'm like a celebrity or something. And I probably, like, again, we- I probably set myself up too high there, but yeah, that's the first time I ever like tried anything on. I'm like, damn. Are we talking like navy blue? Or are we talking like dumb and dumber blue? Oh no no no! Oh, not, even God. To, not even close to hairy dumb and dumber. I really blue. No. I really wish no. it was dumber dumber blue. That would have been. I don't perfect. know. I think I could pull off the like highlighter orange more than the highlighter I think, or I navy think blue. Too. Yeah. I think you could too. I don't know. I'm gonna have to put that out there. Uh, what would I look better, like highlighter orange or the blue? I'm team. But I'm then team again, I, I I I if you were to probably pay me to wear that one night, I probably would. Of course. There you go. It's an there iconic go. suit. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. Get a top hat and a cane, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, boys, um, like like we said uh, off the top of the show, lots to talk about. We're getting close into the season now. Uh, preseason's just just around the corner. We're kicking off season four of Sticks in the Six, which seems wild to talk about. But this is the first year we've gone, you know, end-to-end, 365 days of Sticks in the Six. And uh, this is our first episode of season four. So 
pretty exciting for us. Um, but you guys don't want to hear about that. You want to hear more about our, our takes on the, uh, on the Leafs and, and what they're going through. So let's kick it off with a little bit of rookie camp talk. Um, Peter, um, takeaways from rookie camp. Who's, who's the standouts? Who's, uh, who's cracking this team maybe later in this season? What, what are we looking at here? Oh man. Uh, so yeah, if you've checked out the hockey writers, I did come out with a top five, you know, top, top five performers. And obviously like everyone, like we already know Matthew Nyes is Matthew Nyes. He, he stood out with his strength, his puck, his puck protection, play, his play down low, cutting to the middle. He was fantastic, but man, I'm going to tell you Easton Cowan right now, just absolutely off the charts. Like I, I, I mean, it was kind of difficult watching that first game because the stream ended and we really didn't have anything, but he just dominated the Dallas Stars. He do- and the Dallas Stars have like, you know, Maverick Moore, Logan Sankovan. They got they got a decent prospect pool. Cowan comes in, he dominates the Detroit Red Wings as well. And man, he's just all over the place. Dude ha- has an engine that just doesn't stop. And I know we talked about this previously before. Um about, you know, what the expectations are. And I believe it was Kyle Grimard that we have on, correct? Mm-hmm. from the mm-hmm. London Knights and we talked about him and we talked about how well his progression is going to be and we're already seeing that right now um he was fantastic I have no complaints about his game I think he's going confidence is sky high heading into this camp and even heading back to London uh big fan of Dennis Hildeby Forbes you talk about you know having goaltending from within the system I think he looked very spot on could work on his lateral movements a bit, but I thought he was very confident in finding the puck. He got good poise, didn't panic as often, but I'm just going to say this, and I'm going to pump my own tires for this one. Um, Brandon Lazowski. I mean, I've had this guy as an underrated pick for the Maple or prospect for the Maple Leaf system for some time. And man, he wowed me even more this time around. He's small, but he has good lower body strength to hold up against tougher competition. Shots off the chart. I mean, he had great creativity when he was on that third line, I believe, and just absolutely stood out for me in a positive way. I, I think those were my, I mean, I have more uh, standout performers from that tournament, but those are the ones that constantly caught my eye consistently. Yeah. And I mean, on top of that, Hildeby's a big fucking dude, right? Like, oh, six, yeah. Seven, six, I think six. he came in. And- yeah, six six, six seven, two hundred and thirty-four pounds or something like that. So when you have that size, especially in today's game, like your lateral movement doesn't have to be as as impeccable as it once was. But I mean, mm-hmm. he definitely uh, I, I like that they gave him that second game and and you know, we got to see a little bit more from him. And um yeah, I, I think right now the Leafs goaltending is is what they need in their prospects. So you got Akdiamov who obviously wasn't there, but you've got Pexa and you've got, uh, you got Hill to be as well. And even, uh, even, Ka- um, what is it? Cavlin? Luke yeah. Cavlin? Yeah. Yeah. He, he, you know, Luke like, Cavallini? is it Cavallini? No, it's just Cavlin. Cavlin. Yeah. Okay. Cavlin. Thinking of something else. I pronounce it once, right once. And, uh, Peter's, Peter's got me thinking of something else here. Um, but <laughs> I'm usually the one that's right with that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and he's, anyways, he's he's another option as well, uh, deeper into that prospect pool. So it's it's uh, definitely good to see some some goaltending prospects come up through the uh, the system. But Alex, uh, any standouts for you at the rookie camp? Anybody that kind of disappointed? Maybe you'd like to see a little bit more of. Um, so I can't really comment too much on this because I missed every single prospect game, which really sucks because I wanted to watch all three. And I actually told myself earlier that week I was going to watch all three, but then life got in the way and it just didn't happen. 
Um, so I'm not really going to speak on who I thought played well because I, frankly, I, I didn't watch the games. I can't really, I, I, I'm going to be talking out of my ass. So overall, like from what I saw and shout out Kyle Cushman for supplying everyone with the leaders in, in, in the point categories, just to piggyback mm-hmm. off of what Peter said, man, sh- Easton Cowan's just been everywhere. Yeah. Like the talk about a guy who came into training camp with a whole bunch of people thinking that, you know, he's a reach. He's, he's going to be a bust because he was ranked in the third round. Talk about a guy coming in and just proving all the doubters wrong. Right. And obviously, you know, you're not going to use one rookie camp as, as you know, full fodder for proving the doubters wrong. But at the same time, it's nice to see a guy like that come in and dominate when he very easily could have done cardio and just kind of blended in with the crowd. So uh, good. It was encouraging to see St. Cowan on the score sheet a bunch. Um, Hildeby, obviously I've been a big fan of Hildeby. I was a fan of him right from the moment they drafted him. And uh, obviously watching Matthew Nyes out there compared to last year, you know, this is a guy who's going to, playing the NHL all year this year. And I think he's got a real shot at 20 goals. So um, I thought that uh, I thought it was um, it was a decent tournament overall from, from what I saw on the stat sheet, but I didn't actually watch anything. So uh, that is the end of my analysis. Well, there you go. You heard it here first. Matthew dies, 20 goals. I think we, I made the worst prediction last year. So we'll see how yours turns out this year, Alex, but I, I, I got another one for you. I, I do. I put this in my, in my, uh, one of my prospect articles. And I said that Easton Cowan's going to hit the century mark in the OHL. And I think yeah, going back, um, he, you know, he's going back to London right now. He's, he's set for the second line with Denver Barkey and Casper Halton. And um, I called Halton at the, uh, at the uh, combine, I, I said he was going to probably end up in North America. He wouldn't give me much of an answer, but he gave me a little smirk. So I knew right then and there um, the outside insider was back making the call that Halton was going to be a night uh, this season. And I think like just from him, he's a, he's a big body. He's going to, he loves to score goals. And he loves to be a net front pe- presence. Um, I think playing on a line with him and, and the way that Easton Cowan sees the game. I mean, this kid's going to put up, this kid's going to dominate the NHL this year and, or sorry, the OHL this year. And I'd be shocked if he doesn't hit that century mark. Could you imagine if he dominated the NHL this year? I make oh, a team out of camp, drops oh. 80 points in his first year. How yeah. mad would every fan of every NHL uh, team be if that ever happened? That'd be funny. If he uh. yo, okay, if he made if he made the team out of camp, I'd put I'd put 20 on him to win the Calder. Oh, oh that's a good that's a bizarre. Bizarre. That's a bizarre. Interesting. Could you imagine? That'd be that'd be wild. That'd be wild. You would be you would be With, able to single hand from the odds of not only Easton Cowan being a, a contender for the Calder, but for beating out Bedard you and twenty bucks on that dude, you'd be able to fund us an in person studio. Okay, yeah. hey, listen to this. I I put I'm regretting a bet I made already. I put an under on Bedard's points this year Ooh. at sixty seven and a half, and like seeing him play in that prospect tournament. Um, I'm, I'm easily regretting I think, that already. Yeah. I think under 80 might be a safe bet, but I wouldn't do under 67.5. I think yeah. he's going to clear that. Yeah. One, so. one more point on Cowan. You know, mom's spaghetti and chocolate milk. That's the breakfast of, you know, NHLers or breakfast. Dinner of NHLers right there. Mom's spaghetti. Doesn't get any better. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um. Anyways, boys, uh, training camp opens up this week. We've seen some uh, media availability from some of these players. Uh, a lot being said, a lot being talked about, a lot of questions about a topic we'll get to in a little bit with uh, Mike Babcock. But um, lots of, lots to say about the, the the piss and vinegar that they added with uh, Bertuzzi. Bertuzzi talked about, uh, he was asked about um, 
at a, I believe it was a golf tournament. He said, uh, you know, I've only played, I haven't even played one game yet, but there's a discussion about like whether he could sign a long-term deal. Max Domi says he wants to not only be a leaf, but he wants to win the cup with the Leafs, uh, knock two things off his bucket list. And then obviously Revo being asked about uh, the, the goodest yell in wall's face at the end of uh, round two last year. And uh, he's, he, you know, with a smirk on his face, he says he's ready to go if that happens again. So training camp, what are you looking for, Alex, uh, out of these guys? And uh, any any surprises that you think might we might see? So I saw, I don't know if you guys saw the tweet that uh, Luke Fox put out today. And it was hilarious because I, I quoted it and I dropped some analysis on it. And then I realized... I'm literally doing this over an insider's speculation of what the lineup might look like before the team has even taken the ice for training camp. I might have a problem. But anyways. Don't um, we all? Yeah. Don't we all? Yes, yes, that's right. Um, So I I look at, uh, like, I was looking at this lineup that he put out. And at first I was, like, I was shocked. Yeah, And I'll just, I'm I'm, going to stop teasing it. He basically, he had the top nine as follows. Bertuzzi, Matthews, Marner, first line, which I think everyone's expecting to see. Second line of Matthew Nyes, John Tavares, Sam Lafferty. Hmm. Third line of Max Domi, William Nylander, Kelly Yarncroke. And, you know, I know everybody's gut reaction at first is going to see Sam Lafferty on that second line and be like, this is a dude who had six points in his last little stretch of the season with the Leafs. Couldn't stay in the lineup. He was bounced up and down between the third line, fourth line, and even the bench. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if that was actually a possibility to start the year because it sounds like that they're taking the concept of putting Nylander at center pretty seriously. And if they follow through with that, John Tavares has literally spent the better part of his career playing alongside guys who aren't really known for their offense. Remember in long Island, a lot of the time, his two wingers were Josh Bailey and Matt Molson. And he led those guys to some pretty decent seasons. And I'm not saying it was all because of him, but obviously playing with John Tavares has to play a part in that. So obviously right off the hop, I was a little confused by that, but at the, the more I think about it, Sam Lafferty on John Tavares' wing. You send him to the net. You utilize that speed. He had, I think he had like 10 goals or 12 goals last year or something like that. You put him alongside Tavares for almost a full season. He could get 20 goals. Mm -hmm. 15 to 20 goals. You you utilize him as like your net front guy. And you know what? That's what I like about this this year's lineup so much is there's just... There, there's so much to look forward to and there's so many combinations and options available. They, you know, they rehaul, they overhauled almost their entire depth chart outside of the core. And, you know, like between power play, the special teams and what you're getting out of them just from their, from their offensive core. I think that there's lots of options here this year. And um, to answer your question, Andrew, I think that the, that's going to be the main thing that I'm looking at when we got, when we get into training camp here, I'm going to be looking to see what kind of combinations Keith experiments with and, you know, there's not really any massive battles to make the lineup. I, I know normally that's something that you might look at and be like, oh, you know, look for this guy to make a serious push to crack the roster or whatever. I think the only person we're really looking at for something like that is Noah Gregor. Signed a PTO. He could be a guy that signs a one-year deal like Aston Reese last year that joins a fourth-line role. But everything else seems to be like we see there seems to be a good idea of where everyone's going to be playing this year. 
And at the same time, there's all sorts of combinations in the air. We really have no idea what's going to happen. So I'm just going to be keeping an eye on what, what Sheldon Keefe does from game to game, who gets cut. And if he sticks to this, this whole thing of, you know, Tavares having a bit less on his wings and then stacking up that third line, because you, you, you put Yarncroak as the primary goal scorer on that third line. Nylander and Max Domi are both great passers. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's lots of options here. So that's, that's where I'm going to, that's where I'm going to stay right now. I, I, I that's what I'm going to be keeping an eye on um, just what they make of all the options. Peter, what are you looking for out of camp here, buddy? Uh, I mean, I just want to see how well that new added attribute of the snot piss and vinegar does. I mean, it, it was the big talking point throughout the whole entire season. It was it was players that they brought in of a characteristic that they lacked for some time. I mean, they tried to get physical with, you know, bringing in Luke Shen or whatever. Like, yeah, he was great at times, but, you know, he lets in. It wasn't worth keeping him in on that salary. And same with, you know, um, you know, uh, Noel Chari as well. Although I think it would have been feasible to keep him into the fold as well. So yeah, the main additions and see how well that is going to work because you already heard uh, Mitch Marner talk about that added attribute and how the guys are very vocal and energetic in the locker room already. And if they're having that presence right now, I think that's something that could go a very long way for a team that's, you know, they had some highs winning their first series, but they didn't, they lacked that same energy that Florida had. And they brought in players that could ju- do just that with Bertuzzi, with Domi. Now, are they going to produce as much as, let's say, a Matthew Kachuk? Probably not. But that in your face mentality that, you know, not letting your skill dictate the pace of the game, but more so being in on the forecheck, being physical and being heavy on the attack. I think that's something that could work in favor for the Maple Leafs. How they're going to adapt to that is going to be very, very big. And also the the second defensive pairing that was occupied by Justin Hall. What is going to happen there? Because kind of like the forwards with the different combinations that you have right now, you have different combinations, but what's going to be the best fit? Um, you're probably looking at Riley and Brody as going back to that top pair again. Um, Brody kind of had an up and down season last year, but hopefully he turns it back around. You have Jake Muzzin on the left side. Who is going to be on that right right now? I Jacob, mean, Jake McCabe, you mean? What did I say? Jake Muzzin. <laughs> yeah, I was just Jake, I was Jake, just thinking. I don't think Jake, Jake Muzzin's going to be playing. Yeah, this he's year. Uh, yeah no, he definitely is not playing this year. Thank you. Uh, little just, no problem. There happens. we go. Let's just uh, you know scratch that, reverse it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so Jake McCabe on the left side. There we go. Got it. Um, and what's going to happen on that right side right now? Is Timothy Lilligren going to be ready for a full-time spot in the top four? Um, John Klingberg, he, I believe he's a left-hand shot. Um, what's going to happen there? He McCabe can play on the right side. So if you put Klingberg on the left and McCabe on the right, possibly, and then you have that Giordano-Lilligren combination, that we've seen them, you know, mesh very well together in the past. So it's going to see, to me, I'm hoping that Lilligren can take that spot because I've been a big proponent or a big fan of his game. And he seemed to be getting better each season. I think last year was a little bit rough because when the trade deadline happened, he had to get pushed down because of the depth that they had. But I do think that if he's confident coming in and, you know, he's, I think that I saw a few uh, photos of him training on a bike and, you know, working on his uh, legs. 
if he's able to build up more speed, build up more strength, I think that top four spot could be his. So I'm going to be looking forward or looking forward to see if he can uh, take that spot now that Justin Hall is gone. Yeah, I think uh, touching off of what Alex said, uh, you know, it's there's not many spots within the roster right now that are going to be competition when it when we're talking about training camp here. Yeah, I think this is the most set the Leafs have been in the, in recent memory. Um, that said, I do think that it's going to be about chemistry at this training camp. You want to go into the season, you want to start off hot, especially in this Atlantic division. Um, so you want to you want to try and figure that out. Um, and, and you know, the three pieces, the three main pieces that they brought in are, are two of them are going to be, you know, main guys when it comes, when you're talking about the, the offensive, uh, production. So I think finding where they fit in, finding where these, you know, you can kind of get a regular rotation in your lines. Um, that's what you're going to be looking for at training camp and, and see, you know, what fits and what doesn't, because remember Keith lost two pretty significant players in terms of who he liked to go with in Justin Hall and, and Alex Kerfoot. And I think, you know, that, that takes away from what, uh, you know, he's done over the last couple of years. And, and now he's got a, a, a few more guys to kind of play around with and see what works. So I think that's going to be the interesting part in training camp. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens, what comes of it. And uh, man, October 11th is just around the corner, boys. This season's going to be uh, quickly approaching and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch as, as we get closer to it. Um, before we move on, uh, just a quick word from our sponsors over at the Hockey Podcast Network, uh, DraftKings Sportsbook. We're back with another week of football, and DraftKings Sportsbook is keeping us in on the NFL action with great offers every single game day. New customers can bet $5 and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Throw five down on any of this week's epic matchups to walk away an instant winner. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. Football is more fun when you're in on the action. So don't download the uh, app now and sign up with code THPN. New customers can bet just $5 to get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL with code THPN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.gambler.com. 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in New York. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. Licensee partner Golden Nugget, uh, Lake Charles, LA. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario, see sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility. Terms and responsible gambling or responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions do apply. So those listening on our streams, we would be throwing right now to our interview with Michael Talkvist. Well, Peter, it's been quite a long time since we touched base. Yeah. A nice little hour long uh let's call it an intermission i guess uh like those theaters uh theater shows where you go and you get a quick minute to jump up you know take a piss and uh get back <laughs> to your seat before the show goes on but anyways um we are back because your host here fucked up with the uh <laughs> the time uh, difference between us and 
Sweden. Um, so we are getting Michael Telkvist on. Uh, we figured we'd do a live show, do a quick live interview here with him. Um, he's he's all set to jump on. We're just hoping uh, Alex will be jumping on in the next few minutes here um, and we can get going. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's going to be a fun little episode, I think. I think a uh, fun little uh, chat with uh, with Michael. Um, obviously, he's got some goaltending background. He can give us a little insight into the the position itself, uh, but also playing for uh, playing for a couple of teams, and, and one of them being the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I don't know, I don't know much if you remember anything about uh, Michael Telfus when with his time with the Leafs, but uh, yeah, I mean, former third round pick, seventieth overall, and uh, you know. It's uh, it's a name that rings the bell when when it's when it's mentioned, right? Yeah, not uh, like one of those names where you seem to forget that what that he was a Maple Leaf, considering that you know, given the time, like how the Maple Leafs goaltending situation was playing out, you obviously had your starter, then you had your backups, but he was in a kind of like a middle ground role where he was uh, playing a backup at certain points as well, and yeah, I remember him. Obviously, it was at the time where the playoff glory days were coming to an end and he got a few seasons in post uh, lockout with the Maple Leafs before being traded to the Arizona Coyotes. I remember that trade happening as well, but yeah, uh, I, I, I remember goalie who gave it his all every single time he was on the ice and whenever he was called upon uh, minimal experience with the, or minimal games with the Maple Leafs only 40, but over four years, but you know, still donned the Maple Leafs still gave it his all and still played his heart out no matter what. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one of many names that kind of, you know, fly under the radar when you talk about former Leafs, but uh, one that definitely, like I said, rings a bell with uh, anybody who's been watching the Leafs for for as long as we have. Um, We're going to try and get him on here as soon as possible. uh, And hopefully, as I mentioned, we'll get Alex back in here ASAP as well um, to to get us going. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's, like I said, it's going to be a fun little episode. I think we got a lot to discuss with him. Obviously, he's out in Sweden. He's working as a goaltending coach now. Um, and, uh, yeah, just, a just a f- good little grab here, I think for the show. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, considering that he is a goaltending coach right now, um, you know, he's parting his wisdom and his experience to, you know, the younger generation as well right now. I think that's always key when you have a player that was in the show for the longest time or for the time that he's been in still, you know, serve as a mentor for like, you know, players and kids coming up right now. So yeah, it's definitely to see interesting to hear what he's going to have to say about his experience as a goaltending coach as well. Um, even like, you know, in his uh, post NHL career playing over there certain with certain stints as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, yeah, it's uh, like we said, end of the season for us, uh, hopefully a big season four coming our way. Uh, the hockey podcast network has done a wonderful job in, in, you know, rounding up some of the best uh, best shows around the uh, around the the world right now when it comes to hockey. Uh, I know Offside Hockey also just joined the Hockey Podcast Network as well, so that's that's good to see uh, James get in there and and get in get on. But uh, here we are. Um, we'll uh, we'll bring Michael in now. Good afternoon, Mikhail Telkvist. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. Can you hear me good or no? We can, yep. yes. Loud and thank clear. you so yeah. much. Loud Perfect. and clear. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Yeah. 
So we want to, first off, welcome you to Sticks in the Six. Uh, played parts of seven seasons in the NHL with our Toronto Maple Leafs, as well as the Buffalo Sabres and Phoenix Coyotes at the time. Um, now back home in Sweden, goaltending coach. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we want to, first off, welcome you to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Perfect. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's been a, it's been a long time since I did a, did a podcast or anything like this in, 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 in English. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, well, we're, we're glad uh, we're glad you could take the time out to talk to us. I'll get you. I'll get us started here. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about uh, you know the goaltending position. I know we we talk a lot about uh, you know goaltenders tend to have superstitions a little bit maybe more than some some players in in the locker room. Were you ever a superstitious guy, or or what kind of what kind of you know superstitions do you have going beyond before the game? Well, actually, the older I got, the, the less, more superstitious I had, actually. Uh, I was worse when I was younger, for sure. Uh, just the way that I prepared during the game, I ate certain things. I, I took my pregame nap certain times. Uh, I put my pad on there a different way. Uh, I put my straps on one side, and then I switched sides and, and all that stuff. And So there was always I had almost too much there for, for a while, but uh, as older I got, the less I actually did. So kind of settle in a little bit in, in, my, in my older age. Michael Tate, uh, obviously you were drafted by the Maple Leafs third round in 2000. Um, take us through where the draft process. Uh, do you remember what happened when you got the call that the Maple Leafs selected you back then? Yes, it's, it's a little bit different than it is right now. I mean, obviously I was not uh, attending the draft per se. So I was actually home in Sweden. We had this uh, midsummer celebration and I got a call from my agent telling me that I was picked in the, the 69 or 60, 68 overall, I think, in the third round, as you said. And uh, pretty much you're drafted by Toronto, Toronto Maple Leafs and they're really excited. And uh, they'll send you a jersey in a, in a month or so. So and that's that's pretty much it. And then uh, obviously the the scout here in Sweden called me the next day and congratulated me as well. But uh, it took took a little bit of time before I actually talked so, with somebody from the Toronto Maple Leafs. I was going to say, what was your first interaction with the Leafs? Like, did they did you have any inclination that you were going to go go to Toronto, or was was there ever any, ever any kind of meeting prior to the the draft that gave you that idea that they might be looking at you? Well, I had some uh, indications that they, they might be looking for a for a goaltender, but uh, I did not, not expect to get drafted. It wasn't uh, that that much media thing around it. I mean, as it is right now, you can read all these uh, rankings all the time. It wasn't wasn't even close to that. So, but uh, well, obviously, they wanted me to come over right away. Uh, I kind of had a special first year over here in Sweden. My first year uh, as a Pro player, I, I won the Swedish championship, so that was a big thing. And I won the championships for my hometown team uh, of Djurgården here in Stockholm, so it was a big thing. And I played world championships, so it was kind of a kind of a great start for me professionally. Uh, it it kind of came quick, and then I got drafted, and then they said like, "We want you to come over right away." But I talked to some uh, people back here in Sweden and my goalie coach, and they said, "Relax, just." have another pro year over here in Sweden and you'll be more ready to go. And how big was that extra pro year for you? Because you went to the AHL right after that. And then yeah. that's when you get called up to the Maple Leafs and, you know, kind of like in 2000, 
2002, two, three, and then 03, mm-hmm. So how did, how, how big was that extra season good for your development? Uh, looking back at it, I'm not, I'm not sure, but maybe, I mean, we actually won the, the second year as well. So it was obviously for me personally, it was, it was a great, great chance to stay home and play pro looking back at it. I, I, it took me some time to adapt to North American style of play. Uh, I had to change a lot of things in my game to, to be ready um to play and and back then you you weren't really getting the tell games as you are right now uh it feels like i'm a dinosaur here but it's like uh it actually was like that you should watch some highlights you saw matt sandine score you saw peter forsberg score but it wasn't much of a uh we weren't showing games regularly let's put it that way mm-hmm. and you were talking about um you know the the transition to the North American style and game. Um, how, mm-hmm. from your experience, obviously, when younger players get drafted from Europe, that's always a big key factor for NHL mm-hmm. teams. How is that uh, for you going forward? Well, for me personally, uh, it, it was really tough. I came over. Uh, I was celebrated over here in Sweden and played a couple of World Championships, which is big over here. Uh, two Swedish Championships, so I kind of. My confidence was really high uh, coming into uh, to training camp. Uh, really great goalies in the in the system. I mean, uh, I mean, you heard Curtis Joseph coming in. I mean, he's a icon in in, in Toronto, uh, and they were really hoping for me to step in as, as a backup behind him. Uh, but I think it was uh, Corey Schwab. I think they came in and, and took took that job, and I wasn't really ready. So was, for me, it was good to go and play in AHL uh, for sure. I wasn't ready to play in in the big leagues. Let's put it that way. Michael, first of all, I just want to jump in here and say, yeah, you know, it's nice to meet Good you. See you. I'm looking yeah. forward to uh, chatting with you. Um, so I, I was personally thinking of one specific thing, which was your, mm-hmm. I believe your last season with the Leafs, because that was the year that I fell in love with, with the team. And that's when I became obsessed with the rosters and looking up and down yeah. at the stats and all that. Um, so that, that season, it was 2006, 2007. I think you were traded to Phoenix halfway through the year. Yeah. Um, that was my first year, you know, like I said, first year looking at a roster for the first time. First time, my first introduction to players like Matt Sundin and Darcy Tucker. And you've got, you had the ability to play in the same, play for the same team as a lot of these guys. So what was it like sharing a room specifically with those two players and what kind of impact did they have on the locker room? Well, I think all those players you mentioned, Toronto is a special place to play. Let's put it that way. Everybody knows that, but it's it's really unique, and and it doesn't matter uh, what background you have. Like you're interested in hockey, you can. Some people I met like could barely say hello in English, but they knew I was a Toronto Maple Leaf, and that was me. I mean, I just imagine Matt Sandin, Darcy Tucker, Ty Domi, and all those guys, Brian McCabe, Carberley. There's some some really good players that I had a chance to be around, uh, which was really really cool, and I'm really proud of getting a chance to have gotten a chance to to play for Toronto Maple Leafs, one of the original six teams. But um, yeah, it was unfortunately I didn't make it as as a a starter. Uh, I wasn't really good enough, I think, at, at the time. Uh, but I got a get a chance to play for the blue and white. That's for sure. What's it like? Uh, we had we had another guest on recently that talked about how you know Sweden's become this this mecca for for producing hockey per capita. I mean, what is mm-hmm. it about Swedish hockey that's changed that made them that's made them such a 
uh, a force internationally and and in doing so has has produced some incredible uh nhl players it's it's hard to say it's just uh it's just part of the history i think like as in canada hockey is one but what or in sweden hockey has been one of the biggest sports ever i mean we have soccer or football we see over here but then it's like then hockey is number two number two sport so we have you start playing from a young age at the hockey schools and you start uh, in the wintertime. You can maybe not in Stockholm, but a little bit up north. You can go to the lakes and skate and all that stuff. So it, it's almost like uh, riding a bike over here. It's something you learn how to skate and then you, you take it from there and you, you look up to all these uh, great players that uh, Sweden has produced during the time. And, and obviously uh, one of the best teams we ever had was probably when we won the Olympics 2006 uh, with all those great players with... I would say the the best generation of Swedish hockey players that we always put together, I think. Speaking of international tournaments, obviously mm-hmm. the NHL hasn't gone to the Olympics at recently. Hopefully that can change. What do you make of like the world elite level talent that Sweden would have against the likes of Canada, US, because you know, there's obviously Elias Patterson, William Nylander. Mm-hmm all of these great talented players and even younger ones coming up like Leo Carlson. Uh, how, mm. like how exciting would that be for the country itself? I think it would be really interesting to see uh, kind of a measuring stick, see what where Sweden is right now. I mean, obviously we, I talked about when we won, uh, it's been a while since, since, since then. And, and I feel like uh, after Henrik Lundqvist retired, it was a little bit of a, little bit of a hole uh, on the, on the goalie side, but now with Olmark uh, winning the Vetsena and, Markstrom probably bumping back from hopefully a, a better season this year. I, I feel like the goaltending situation looks pretty good as well. I mean, you have Victor Hedman in, in Tampa, solid defenseman as well, and Mika Simbanyad in, in New York Rangers that you could put the puck in the net. And then obviously, Billy really plays for the blue and white for you guys. So, uh, yeah, it would be, it would be, it would be fun to see uh, if they can do some damage. So, Michael, you're looking, you're you're working as a goalie coach uh, now and then these days. Now, I was wondering about one specific thing because I was never a goalie when I played, but one of my best friends was, and I've always been very intrigued by the position. Um, obviously, you know, changes in development and changes in the way that goalies change will happen over the years. And you've, you're somebody who's been on both sides of that. So what would you say is the biggest difference in the ways that goaltenders are trained in the years 2023 compared to when you came up? I, I feel like, uh, just to put it in, I, I work as a player development for, for a sports agency. Uh, so I do a little bit of a, of a goaltending uh, coaching as well. But but I would I, I, th- I feel like they're more prepared. Uh, they're more skilled. They're more, uh, they're more ready for what's coming. Uh, I feel like from a younger age, you do a lot more skill stuff as a goalie. Uh, when I came up, it was more learning by doing kind of thing. Now, like everybody watches YouTube or clips everywhere, and they try to adapt and look at like look at other goalies in a different way. Uh, they're, they they like getting feedback in a different way that than maybe us older player did. Uh, watch your own tape all the time and, and and all that stuff, and go through with your goalie coach. So I, I feel like the goaltenders coming up now is more prepared at a younger age. Uh, than maybe we were coming up. I know you mentioned that, it, like how important the game of hockey is mm-hmm. in Sweden, but 
what made you fall in love with the game? Like, was there one specific moment? And, and at what point in your career did you realize that the NHL was a possibility for you? Uh, when I retired, I think I, I, I felt like a best <laughs> possibility to make to the NHL. But, <laughs> but no, I started falling in love being a goaltender. I went to games with my dad uh, here in Stockholm, and I always liked the goal equipment. I don't know what it is, but most goalers, I think, say that they like equipment. And uh, the position kind of fascinated me somehow. Uh, you're either the bad guy or you're the hero. Like it's it's nothing in between. It's like a being a ref kind of thing. If you haven't heard a scene from the goalie or the ref during the game, uh, he's done a good job. Uh, and you know, I mean, you lose because you have a bad goalie, and you win because of the offense is good. So th that's pretty much it. But somehow I just liked standing there in the end of the game and the crowd roaring and you can all the all the players come towards you and, and celebrate it's like a it's unbelievable feeling actually that's the only thing I really miss about the game to be honest with you just the, the excitement right before the games the nervousness and then the last two minutes of a game when it's the game is on the line you know that's that's something I miss the rest I could I could live without and obviously they're my teammates but the rest I can live without I like was that there... you mentioned that players are drawn to the equipment because that was this mm -hmm. that was the case for me for about one day when I first started yeah. <laughs> playing hockey, and then I started realizing I couldn't keep pucks out of the net, so it didn't yeah. last very long for me. But <laughs> the equipment is a very big part of it, so I'm it glad really you is. made that comparison. That's our one. That's our one link right there. <laughs> Perfect. It's funny because I played goalie one game. I came out. I started off as defense, and then I went in goal to switch with one player because we wanted to swap roles one time. Yeah, eleven goals against. Um, yeah. so right here, but, uh, yeah, no, that, I, I totally understand where Alex is coming from with that, but yeah, the, the, yeah. the equipment itself back then, and even till right now it's changed dramatically. And this is like yeah. early thousand stuff too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it, it started to change when, when I first came in the league, I think it was, uh, I think the guard snow kind of screwed everybody else, but he had those big shoulder pass i don't know if you remember that but otherwise you have to go back and google it but he looked like a lacrosse goalie there for a bit and then <laughs> the nhl kind of cut down on us and we had to become uh, a little bit smaller and then and obviously i'm not a, i'm not a tall guy i'm like uh, i think like 181 so what's that six feet or something 511 so i'm not a tall guy so i had to depend on big pads or big shoulder pads and, and, and be able to reading the game so that kind of sucked for me a little bit but I want to jump quickly because you already talked about like how great it was to be with your teammates with, you know, mm -hmm. the likes of Sundin, Roberts, Tucker, Domi, all of those guys. But you did have a bit of a short stint with Pat Quinn, who is obviously mm -hmm. another um, iconic Maple Leaf, uh, yeah. albeit in a managerial head coach role. Uh, what was it like playing under him for the time that you were in Toronto? Very likable coach. Uh, very likable. He always uh, stood by his players. Um he never gave what I remember. Never gave the players shit on the press conference. He could give. He could. He could give you shit in the room, but never in front of the cameras or media. Uh, but he was just a presence in the in the room. I remember, maybe not the best tactical guy, but his speeches before a game. It felt like you were playing Game Seven of Stanley Cup playoffs, and you had to look at your phone. It was like, okay, it's November thirtieth, you know, <laughs> and they were playing Atlanta away or something. But he was uh, he was really good of speeching, and he had great stories to tell because obviously he's been in the league for a very long time. So uh, I was sad to hear that he's passing a few years back here, and he was a really big I uh, Toronto Maple Leafs icon. 
What was one story or one speech that resonated with you? It could be very expletive. It could be very straight to the point. But what 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 was one of your favorite Pat Quinn speeches? Uh, it's hard to remember, but I, I remember uh, just certain things, the way he could pronounce certain things. And I remember, uh, I mean, Daniel Alperson wasn't a popular guy in, in Toronto. Uh, I mean... I remember he's screaming on the bench. Somebody hit that guy. He's uh, five, six with his hands over his head. Somebody just take him or whatever, you know, <laughs> something like that. I remember. And then Carol Pilash was, uh, was a defenseman. He, he, he didn't like him sliding on the ice too much. And he's like, Carl, you look like a Samboni out there. You stand on, you stay on your feet, please. You know, stuff like that. Not please, obviously, probably, probably not a word, but, uh, he was uh, he was a funny guy, and I know the the, the players like play for him, and, and he, as I said, he always took the player's side, which was nice. So obviously, uh, you kick kick things off at the start of this with the discussion about when you were drafted and uh, you, when you entered mm-hmm. into the league, and I mean. To, to make it to the NHL is one thing, but to do it with the Toronto Maple Leafs is almost an entirely different ballgame. So I was just wondering, mm-hmm. when you go back to the start of your career, was there a specific moment that sticks out in your head where, where you know, the younger version of you sitting there just thinking, wow, I'm, I'm in the NHL. This is my welcome to the NHL moment, whether it was in a game or just like an experience around the team or just a, a moment where you realized that you've made it. it it's hard to say, but it's almost like it's, it's almost more after your career is done, uh, actually, mm-hmm. that it pops out. And, and you, I'm trying to help my sons and, and other kids to play hockey. And, and and they say, like, oh, you you played in the NHL. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I actually did. I remember. <laughs> yeah. dude, I did. I made it as a goalie. And then you kind of realize this, you and you get goosebumps and all that stuff. But uh, I, going back, it's just I remember my first start. Uh, my, my first game was in Montreal. I got... Uh, thrown in when Trevor Kidd got injured. So I I didn't get a chance to feel so much about that game. I got just got jumped, you know, thrown in there to, to play that game. But I think the next game I get a chance to start again at home against Philly. That was probably the longest day I've ever uh, experienced. Uh, from the pregame uh, meal or skate and, and through up till the game. It, was, it felt like I was the day was Three four days long, almost felt like <laughs> it was. It was such a long time before the puck dropped, and uh, I think everybody can can have the same feeling when they have their first NHL game. So um, yeah, that was that was interesting for sure. One of the things that made me reach out to you is when uh, Boris Alming, um, obviously, unfortunately, passed away uh, from from ALS, and and uh, you you honored a lot of greats on your helmets when you, when you were in the NHL and, and one of them was Boris Alming. What does he mean to, to Swedish hockey and what, what kind of iconic figure was he uh, back home? He was, uh, yeah, he, he, I would say he's the biggest Swedish uh, influencer, I would say for, for Swedish hockey players. Uh, there were a few hockey, Swedish hockey players in the NHL before him, but he was probably the first one that, uh, actually made it and became such a popular player in, in, in Toronto. Uh, the way he played, the way he took his uh, teammates' side, or the way he, he played selflessly almost every game, threw himself in front of pucks. And, and uh, the, he, he, I mean, in his memoirs, he always talked about how tough he was if his first few years. You know, he could have easily just went home and became a really good player back home here in Sweden. But he... Uh, 
he was a really stubborn guy and, and he said like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to really do this. Uh, and uh, the way he also uh, is as a person or are as a person is also the way I think Swedish players have learned from him how to be and be around the team. Um, I'm, I'm not just saying this, but I, I feel like a lot of Swedish players have, have a good, um, what do you say, like... Um, People like to be around Swedish players in the NHL. We have a good reputation. And mm -hmm. I think Bori was one of the first players to bring that over. And this is the way we act, you know. This is the way we do. This is the way we play a team game. Um, and he uh, he did all the good things for, for Swedish hockey players, for sure. Mikhail, um, the Maple Leafs drafted Dennis Hildeby in 2022. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I, I just want to get your take from like the goaltending um, development side of things that you're doing right now. What, what can mm -hmm. you tell us about his game, how it's developed since being drafted, and you know what can Maple Leafs fans expect from him in the future going forward? I mean, it's tough. I, I feel like if you're going to be a goalie in uh, the, the Maple or the Toronto Maple Leafs market, you have to be such a strong mental guy. Like you have, that's the main thing. I mean, all the goalies that come through the system or are drafted or play for the AHL are such good goaltenders nowadays. Like there's none that can't stop anything. It's how you can handle the pressure. How can you handle the media? How can you handle you to relax between games and? Uh, and and you said like for me it was like uh, back then it was obviously a lot of pressure too and all that stuff. So I almost it wouldn't almost been better for me to play for another team first and then come to the Toronto Maple Leafs when I was more mature. Being a young guy coming in, it's it's a lot of pressure and you're supposed to be the next guy. And and I mean after me there was about ten other goalies that they tried to get into the same thing, but it's 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 tough. I think I feel like. You need to spend more time doing mental stuff and, and all that stuff and more than, than doing stuff on the ice, I feel like. I, I have to ask, I noticed um, you spent uh, a few seasons in the KHL. I mean, we, we kind of hear mm -hmm. stories about what it was like playing in the KHL, what the living quarters were like. Um, what was it like for you playing uh, playing in Russia? Uh wasn't too bad. I was uh, a half year in a team called Kazan, uh, Akbar's Kazan. Uh and then I got uh, fired from there, so uh, it wasn't wasn't too bad. And then I played for a team called uh, Riga, Dinamo um, Riga, that is in Latvia, which is a totally different place. It's almost like playing mm -hmm. in in the rest of Europe. Uh, so it's it's a little bit different, but obviously going to different places in in the KHL is uh, it's interesting. Let's put it that way. Uh, I've been to some interesting places in the AHL as well, but I would say. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to explain. A lot of these cities are like big factories, basically. Uh, and people go to factories in the morning, they go on the bus back home, maybe go to a hockey game, and then in the morning, go back to factories again. So uh, the, the, it's like some certain cities, obviously, in the U.S. and in Canada as well, but it's uh, it feels like they're 40 years behind some, somehow. And I'll just close it out here with one more. And we, and again, we appreciate all the time that you've given us. Yeah, but no worries. Is there a spot in the house that you have your Toronto Maple Leafs number, uh, a number jersey hanging in the walls? I actually have uh, a little bit of downstairs for me. I have uh, my my uh, draft jersey. 
and I also have my uh, my my puck that I got for my first win in Montreal. So I have a little bit of a memorabilia place, uh, and I go there once in a while to to pinch myself and and say like, "Fuck, you you made it. You played in the NHL and, and all that stuff." And sometimes I don't believe it, but my wife actually said like, "You you know what? Yeah, you actually did." But uh, but it's uh, it was a hell of a ride. Let's put it that way. Uh, I mean, I was I was good enough to play in the NHL. I wasn't good enough to be a starter. But you know what? That's life. Sometimes you know, I did I did what I could, and and uh, it took me to the NHL. Well, I'll tell you right now that starter or not, uh, just speaking of speaking for my situation, like I said, that mm-hmm. that first year that I started watching hockey, uh, you I think you only played one game that year, but. Just, yeah. just to t- to be able to chat with you about your experiences, uh, considering you were one of the first Leaf goalies I ever knew about as a, as a young hockey fan, it was a really uh, awesome experience for me. So, uh, thank you very much for taking some time to join us today. And I just figured I'd check with you before I go ahead with this. But I write for the Leafs Nation, a website, and mm-hmm. I was thinking of potentially taking our chat today and making an article out of it, just catching up with you and getting your takes on certain things. I was just wanted to clear that with you, and make sure you're okay with it before I go ahead and do it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, right. um, I mean, if there's anything. You would like me to add afterwards? Just send me a text at the Twitter or whatever. So we'll we'll figure out. So awesome! No Thank you very much. Thank you guys. Very appreciate, much appreciate it. it. Thanks, yeah, appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. Take care, guys. See ya. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Well, guys, uh, wonderful, uh, wonderful to have uh, Mikhail on here, and and uh, he certainly had a, a lot of a lot of good takes, a lot of good memories, and mm-hmm. and uh, I would have loved to to get his story behind getting fired from a KHL uh, <laughs> team. That was uh, that was an interesting little close there, but uh, otherwise, uh, as you, as you guys mentioned, uh, you know, wonderful to get a guy like that on, Alex. Like you said, it was the first one of the first goaltenders you remember from. From Dude, falling in love with the Maple Leafs. Three, and- like my first ever program that I got when I went to my first ever Leafs games, it was Andrew Raycroft, J.S. Aubin, and Michael Telkvis. Those are the those are the three. All Mik- three goalies. Mikhail Telkvis. I've been pronouncing his name like a dumb Canadian this entire time. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we get we get yeah. to be the dumb Canadians. Remember, remember. <laughs> <laughs> our whole brand is being dumb Canadians. That's right. Hey, we're the non-pronunciation uh, podcast, so. We just pronounce things however the hell we want, and I'm I'm number one for that. So, anyways, uh, as uh, as we said, thanks a lot to Mikhail for coming yes. for on and, and joining us. I know I like I said off the top of the show, Peter, I fucked up the time, and and uh, unfortunately the it the happens, man. It happens, degrees, man. Uh, <laughs> maybe I'll fly down one day and realize what what fucking time it is. <laughs> uh, anyways, boys, uh, thanks again for joining us today. That's two epis in one day. That's a new uh, new record for sticks in the six. But for us boys, we're going to move on a little bit here. Nylander at center. Um, Peter, there's uh, you guys kind of touched on it already. So anything more you wanted to add to the idea of him playing uh, center on the third line and maybe stacking that third line uh, heading into the season? I just have a PSA that I want to get out of the way right now. And this is for anybody who last year saw at any point William Nylander taking a rush on the third line and screamed about how Sheldon Keefe always punishes him and never anybody else. That you're making something up to get mad at. I'm just, I just want to get it out there. There's a tweet today. Uh, David Alter tweeted about a couple different people tweeted about it. You can go have a look where Sheldon Keefe basically said, William Nylander 
I trust in just about every situation. And I want to, I, like, I, I trust him to push himself more than anyone else. He's that good. So he plays on the third line. He's not playing on the third line because Matthews and Marner are, are, are free of criticism. So just want to get it out of the way. Willie playing on the third line is a testament to how much Keith trusts him. And it has nothing to do with not trusting him. So that's my piece. I think it also had to do with the fact that I, I can't remember where I saw it. I was scrolling through my feed and I sh- again, I should probably should have gotten the name, but I'm pretty sure you guys saw it too, where, you know, maybe somebody s- thought that, you know, it, Nylander moving the center was all because of Dubas wanted to have Nylander on the wing specifically. And now that you're living, kind of sees Nylander as a center. He probably wants to move him there to see what he can do and not necessarily up his value for the contract, but have more of an important role on the, on a team. Um, you know, he was drafted as a center. He said that, you know, Nylander has played center in the past and, you know, at this point, why not give him more of an opportunity to be a critical player up the middle? And yes, we all know, or how, how people criticize his defensive game. But now let's see what he's able to do because he did get some looks on the PK last year. If he's able to add that into his game this year and play, you know, a, a big factor up the middle of the ice, um, you know, and not only that, I kind of think he has more free reign as well. You know, he's able to lead the attack because he's if he's going to, you know, break plays up and come back, be a factor and then, you know, break out in transition. I think that's going to be a big factor for the team. And uh, Alex, you talked about the speed that both Domi and Yarncroke have. If, he, if they move the play up and Nylander's trailing and we know how great of a shot he is, they find him trailing into the offensive zone and he's wide open. Boom. There's a Nylander bomb clapper, whatever you want to call it at this point. Uh, Cause he can rip the puck big time. And I think that if he's able, again, if he's able to try and round out his game, this could be a big benefit for the Maple Leafs. And everyone's going to say, well, why do you, why are you going to pay a potential nine, $10 million as your three C? And it's like, well, let's, let's face the facts. John Tavares is probably not going to be an $11 million man in a year or two. Yeah, it's probably going to be bumped down. So now you're going to have to look at the fact that in two years' time, Nylander is going to be making what basically Tavares should be making at this point. And, you know, it, it, I, I think they're going to spread out the ice or the time on ice quite a bit, especially with that line with Nylander because they want to give him more reps, more of that opportunity. And it's better that they're doing that now uh, with, with training camp starting in the preseason, then let's say at the deadline, like Keith did quite a bit with experimenting with his lines. If they're able to see what they have with him right now, even with the first few games in the season, then it's something that they could work with. Yeah, I, I think you guys both nailed it. I don't have much more to add. I think it's it's just a testament to how deep this uh, this team can be if you put a guy like Nylander in the third line. I love that you touched on what Keith said, Alex. Um, you know, I think, you know, it just goes to show you that uh, he's not punishing him in any way. He he actually sees the potential that this guy has. And we've seen that under Keith, that his his point production has gone up over the last couple of seasons as well. So just that in in in, in itself is showing you just, you know, how capable this player is. And um, I think it's a, it's exciting to, to know that you potentially have three stand up centers um, that can that can uh, really add depth and, and scoring throughout your lineup. And that's something that the Leafs have lacked at times over the last few seasons. So I think that's uh, that's something that they have to look at as well. Um, Peter, you accidentally mentioned uh, Muzzin a little bit earlier. I don't want to touch on this too much, but Muzzin uh, is out for the year. He will not be participating in uh, 
anything with the Maple Leafs in terms of on ice uh, activities. Uh, Matt Murray was um, it's deemed that he will have some surgery. We're not sure what it's about. We're not sure what it's for just that it's a re-aggravated injury. Um, so anything you guys wanted to add to that? I think this is just kind of, you know, tying up loose ends in terms of like uh, what, what this roster is going to look like uh, come, come October. Uh, I just want to give a shout out to Sens fans who were calling for the NHL to investigate the Murray. Thing. I was just about to say that. I just, <laughs> just, <laughs> I don't have anything else to say. Just, just, <laughs> just, I hope, I hope you're enjoying that. It. I hope you're enjoying that. And I hope that you keep encouraging the FBI to raid the Leafs organization and figure out what's up with that. Because I, I, I'm pretty sure that Matt Murray right now is currently under the knife, undergoing surgery for a fake injury that the Leafs are only covering up so that Ottawa has to pay his salary. That's right. That's right. Healthy, healthy guys go get surgery. Makes no sense. But yeah, the conspiracy theories are already, you know, circulating around the NHL with the Maple Leafs and caps circumvention or whatever. But, um, you know, it, it, it's just unfortunate because, you know, he did have that concussion against the Detroit Red Wings. Kind of seemed like he was able to go, but then all of a sudden there's more of a re-aggravation and a lot of unknowns in regards to Murray and what what's affecting him right now. Um, in regards to Muzzin, I think we all kind of saw this coming after what happened last season. And it's it's unfortunate for both because Muzzin is a good character guy. And before the injuries, he was that impactful you know, top four defensemen. Murray wasn't looking like the, he'd gotten over his health issues, but then they came crawling back. And, you know, just wishing just wishing nothing but the best for them and hope they recover very well. Um, normally, guys, we go into a little bit more of an in-depth uh, discussion of the divisions, and we might uh, as we get closer to the season. But I want to just quickly touch on the Atlantic division. Now, this is going to probably be one of the tougher divisions in in hockey this season. Um, as Jays fans, we're, we're very used to being in the toughest division in the, in the sport. Um, but, uh, Peter, your thoughts on the Atlantic division, who takes a step back, who kind of jumps into the, into the mix when it comes to playoffs this season? Uh, obvious choice is the Boston Bruins. Um, I think their only saving grace is that their defense and goaltending has been relatively stable. I mean, I think they just lost Dmitry Orlov in the offseason, but they still have, you know, Hampus Lindholm, Charlie McAvoy, uh, Linus Olmark, and uh, Jeremy Swayman. You know, possibly the best duo in that uh, last season and this season coming into the NHL. Um, but that forward depth, uh, aside from Pasternak and Marshawn, not the best, especially now that Bergeron and Krejci are gone. You have possibly Pavel uh, Zaka and, you know, Charlie Coyle is your one-two. That's a little bit dicey right there concerning, but then again, you know, the Boston Bruins have shocked us before. Are they going to have the season that they had last year? No, but I still expect them to take a step back. As for teams that could surprise, definitely the Buffalo Sabres. I, I think they're definitely gunning for a playoff spot and they're a team that could possibly knock out the Boston Bruins. And, possibly get a wild card spot um i alex i know you mentioned uh the sans fans but ottawa does have some good pieces up front um again big question mark is is jacob chickren's health going to hold up and is uh their goaltending situation going to balance itself out and is jake sanderson going to play like an eight million dollar defenseman this year and yeah. are they going to sign shane Pinto? A, i understand yes, Shane Pinto. Yes. i also i do understand 
Yes. Uh, Jake Sanderson is a, he's got a lot of potential and mm-hmm. I know some Leaf fans are out there clowning that contract, but that is a, that's a deal you sign for the future, not for next year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But still Give a another pretty, pretty steep price to pay pretty early on in his career, considering he's only played like, I don't know. I think it was like 50 or 60 games or something. I might mm-hmm. look like a complete moron here. Let me just verify that. <clears throat> I will say this though, I would rather have Jake Sanderson at eight 70, million. Seventy seven games. Seventy seven games. So I was wrong. I'll I'll own that. I'd rather have Sanderson at eight million than Matias Samuelson at four point two million over seven years for <laughs> that yeah. like whatever for twelve games in the NHL or like, you know, sixty games in the NHL before anything else. Um I, I will say that. But I do agree. Sanderson, I, I I'm don't know if he'll like again he'll pop off big time but he does have great you know puck moving abilities and he's a strong two-way presence i think that you know he will be an eight dollar eight million dollar man at some point this season maybe next kind of bit uh rough but again for me it's going to be their goaltending for the senators that'll be a big question mark heading in Alex, your thoughts on the Atlantic? Who takes a step back in what one of these uh, non-playoff teams from last year maybe jump into the mix? I think that of all the non-playoff teams from last year, Buffalo is probably the closest to to making the playoffs. I think that they showed some real promise at the end of last season. And Mm -hmm. assuming that what we saw from Tage Thompson last year wasn't a fluke, which I don't think it will be because although he didn't score – um he didn't score as much as he did last year the year before he was still almost a point per game player so i think it's we're we're leaning closer to tage thompson is that good and he's not just a flash in the pan but um yeah if their young core repeats and they 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 continue to develop i think that they've got a really promising uh promising future ahead of them it'd be nice to get a little battle of the qew going that i thought we were going to get when eichel was drafted the year before matthews but that obviously didn't happen so I think Buffalo's the closest and guys, I'm going to, I feel so stupid for bringing this up because I've done it so many times before and I've made myself look like, and like, look like a fool every single time. This has to be the year that Boston takes a step back, right? That's and exactly the reason, my thought. The yeah. reason that I say this now, and I know that a million times before we've been like, you know, Boston, uh, you know, they, they, they're getting older. Their, their, their core players are leaving. We said it after Lucic left. We said it after Chara left every single time. It's, we think that the Bruins are, are done and they're finally going to regress. Someone breaks out and they end up going to the top. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the reason that I think that might be different this year is for one reason only. And that's the fact that Patrice Bergeron's retired. Yeah, I think that if you're looking at a guy who embodied Bruins success and Bruins hockey for the past 15 years, Patrice Bergeron was the one constant on all those teams that we thought were going to regress and then ended up playing well. Patrice Bergeron, like for as much as I dislike the Bruins, he is a guy that I would have taken 10 million times over on, on the Leafs throughout his career. And he's just that good of a player. And I think that now that he is out of the picture and he's not a voice in their dressing room anymore, I think their culture takes a little bit of a hit. I'm not going to lie. I'm not saying that they're, they're, they're going to have dressing room issues or that, you know, they're, they're not going to have chemistry anymore or anything like that. But when you lose a leader like Bergie, sometimes it can, it can hit you a little harder than you might anticipate, not just from an on ice standpoint. So Buffalo in Boston out is my prediction, but who knows where we'll be uh, by the time December, January rolls around. The thing with Boston too is at least they, like Bergeron and Marshawn have learned uh, uh, under 
Uh, I mean, Pasternak and Marshawn. Jeez, I'm all over the place today with names. Uh, not my day. Uh, Pasternak and Marshawn have learned under Bergeron and even Chara for like the last, you know, five plus seasons. So they know what it takes to win and what it takes to be a Boston Bruin. So I think that, yeah, Bergeron's leadership is gone, but they have other guys to replace him in that department. Again, it's more, I, I do agree with Alex that that is a big hole to fill, but there are guys that can step up and be just as vocal. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I mean, as Alex said, it's the obvious choice to say Boston. Um, I, I don't think Linus Allmark repeats as as a Vesna trophy winner either. I think that was like an incredible run for him and takes nothing away from what he did. But this is the first time we've seen those types of numbers from from uh, Allmark over his career. Um, I, I think Buffalo, too, when you look at Buffalo, this is you're going to get a full year out of uh, Alex Tuck. Um, Owen Powers there. The biggest thing for them is going to be goaltending. If they can get uh, some solid goaltending, there's no reason why they can't make a push. And I think Ottawa's right there as well. I think Detroit's still a step away. Um, Florida's going to be an interesting story because Bobrovsky usually has an on year and then an off year. So this would be considered an off year. And uh, with Spencer Knight coming out uh, with his OCD, um, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how that's going to affect him. Uh, so they they could be an interesting story, but they've got Matthew Tuchuk there, and he's one of you know you have to put him down as elite. So uh, it's going to be an interesting division this year. It's going to be one of the toughest divisions, guys. Before we close it out here, um, last thing I don't want to give too much airtime to this because I think this guy's a scumbag. Um, but uh, your reactions to Mike Babcock and what's on your camera roll? <laughs> uh, so are we doing the camera roll first, or show your pictures? <laughs> which, which picture do you want to see? I want to see the last picture on your camera roll. The last, like, are we looking for screenshots or live pictures or what? Because I just have a lot of hockey Twitter screenshots right now. <laughs> There's mine, guys. My, my, oh, yeah. uh, my son okay. built a ladder today. Um, all right. Uh, mine is this because um, one of my buddies got me watching into One Piece, the animated, not the live action yet. So that is my... Last picture saved of a very cringe photo from what the character saw with another character. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and that is what we're going to go with here. Beautiful. Aww. My little dog, Ella. She's nice. or my parents' dog. She uh, missing like half her teeth. So her tongue always hangs out of her mouth like that. It's pretty, Aww. pretty cute. There Anyways. Um, yeah, I'm honestly, boys, I know <laughs> it's been a while since we last did a pod. All three of us. A couple like three, two, three weeks, maybe. I feel like mm-hmm. was it two weeks ago? I don't know. I can't, yeah. I can't yeah, really tell this. Okay, so I, I, I'm actually really glad that we didn't discuss this while the investigation was going on because then we would have had to be like, oh, you know, we're um, we don't know for sure if this happened yet, but if it did, then it's really bad, and if it didn't, then it's a messy situation. I'm just I'm glad that we're now talking about this, that the whole thing's wrapped up and it's it's just hilarious and it's not haha hilarious it's just hilarious in the sense that like we saw it coming like like who thought this was gonna end well you know the saying there's where there's smoke there's fire 
if you've got a whole collection of NHL players talking about how Mike Babcock is a scumbag and how he's did all this weird sociopathic shit, like, like making Marner make that list of the hardest working players and benching Jason Spezza in front of the, uh, in front of the, at the Leafs home opener in front of uh, all did his family same, and friends when they played the against thing. Ottawa. Did the same thing to Madonna. Mike Madonna, yeah. Right, didn't right before. you off there, but no, that's I knew you were going to say that, so yeah. I wanted to let you get it in. Uh, benching him before his thousandth career game, you know, he's treated Johan Franzen like shit. Obviously, we know Mike Commodore's stance on it. Like this guy is not. This is not just a case of one player had an issue with him and is spreading a bunch of stuff. It's pretty well documented that Mike Babcock's got some issues. Mm-hmm. Like, why would you bring him back into the league? I, I don't know. I'm not, I don't really want to dwell on this too much more, man. It's just, I, I can't, I can't believe that that whole thing happened, but I can because it's the old boys yeah. club and they'll always get their second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh chances before anybody else does. But, oh my God, just what an unbelievable mishandling of a situation by the jackets. That's, that's brutal. Peter, you want to get a quick two cents in there before we close it out? Yeah. Um, in what world is it okay to say, hey, let me see your photos just to get to know a player better? Whatever happened to going out and having a team dinner with like the leaders or, you know, having a face-to-face conversation and not look at the personal lives or like invade someone's privacy because that's basically what this is. Now, whether Boone Jenner and Johnny Goudreau felt they felt okay with it, fine, but there are other people that don't. And yeah, I have to draw the line where it's like, okay, this is unacceptable. And it really is just really, really weird to do. And the guys from the Steve Dangle podcast said it best. When they were hiring Mike Babcock, they talked to Mike, uh, Ken Hitchcock and all these other people saying that, oh, great guy. But then Steve added on, what you failed to do is talk to the players that Mike Babcock had affected in the past, which is Badano, Spezza, Marner, uh, Franzen. Those are the guys that played under him and would know firsthand what he does. And the fact that they just went with people that knew Babcock behind the bench as opposed to the actual players, they didn't take their feelings or their consideration into account. And that is concerning. All I'm going to say is he also sat Chelios uh, after two shifts in the Winter Classic in Chicago, um, his home city as well. Um, so, I, so Sorry, Forbes, I don't want to cut you off, but I, to- I totally forgot about something that I was going to bring up when I was in the middle of cough, when I was in the middle of my little tangent there. Can we just talk about the fact that he invited a young Blue Jackets player to his apartment for lunch, make, went through oh, his I phone, and then sent rumor. him home without lunch? I saw that, yeah. Like, that's, like, that, that is, <laughs> sorry, that is insane, dude. <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah. my god. I think that's I think the stuff, the, that's the stuff that makes me think this guy's a legitimate sociopath. Like, how do you do that and not see anything wrong with it? I just yeah. I can't believe he didn't mm-hmm. even give him a fucking sandwich or something. He just sent him home. A prepackaged like, PB and J or something. Literally. Like that, you know? yeah. Uncrustables. Okay. Anyways. Uncrustables. I'm sorry, Andrew. Go, you go no, no, no. It's back, honestly guys. I don't want to say much. I'm gonna I'm gonna close it out here after, but uh I just um yeah, I, I, I think, you know, when you're walking on a thin line and you go in there and you, you do what, like you said, some sociopathic shit, like you have to be so, so fucked up to just create this awkwardness. And like some people said, like, he's he's just an awkward human being, but like, that's not awkward. That's just 
it, it's idiocracy. It's 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 invasive. It's stupidity. It's invasive. It's man, you're a coach. You're not. You're not like there's nobody in a in a position of authority that should take those steps the the way that he did, and especially with with the way that the younger generation is now. Like you have to step so carefully sometimes, and he he treated it like it was, you know, um, I don't know, like the 1980s. Like show me everything that you got, and and we'll we'll have an we'll have a fuck you match. And that's not the way it is anymore. So uh, he didn't grow with the times. And I think this is the final straw. And I think this is maybe the, the, the straw that breaks the camel's back when you're talking about the old boys club. And and if you don't develop, if you don't change your ways, this is, this is the way it goes. So uh, that's, it was the younger player that had that, in, that incident with him where he saw the phone and then just said, yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, and again, it was all those younger players that took issue with it, and the vets maybe said again, the vets said, "Yeah, I had no issue with it," but you got to think of these younger players because they're the ones coming into this. And again, whatever happened to just asking questions? Oh, what's your favorite TV show? What do you do in your off time? Whatever happened to, again? That basic based conversation. Why can't the guy just be normal? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, that's, that's really what, what this comes down to. Why can't he be normal, a normal human? That's what normal people do. They ask questions instead of saying, oh, hey, let me see your phone. I want to see uh, what pictures you got on there. And I want to like, see what kind of man you are. Like, like what? Come on. Like, it's just so <laughs> dumb. Like, I, I don't understand it. That was his first instinct when he became a head coach to try and get to know his players. Yeah. Well, the uh, the right guy is in the uh, place that he should be now in Columbus, hopefully. And we'll see where that goes. But uh, boys, we're looking forward to season four. We've got some exciting things coming with the Hockey Podcast Network. Um, exciting stuff coming with sticks in the six. And, uh, as always big shout out to you guys, big shout out to our listeners, uh, for continuing to tune in, follow us at any of our socials down at the bottom there. Make sure you hit subscribe on YouTube. We want to hit that century mark before the puck drops on this season. Otherwise, uh, you can follow all of us on Twitter at Andrew G Forbes at P Barracchini and at a Hobson media for more hockey takes throughout the season. It's going to be a fun ride boys. It's going to be a fun season. Um, Otherwise, tune in next week. That's it for us here on episode 136 of the podcast. 